Welcome to Dark Mode, the podcast that brings you sage advice from two technology experts. And that's not just what we call ourselves, it's what our moms tell people when the M2 Max hit the shelves and and no one can buy them because they're going to be very hard to get. I'm your host, Luke Miani. And I'm your host, Noah Rubin. On this show, we take questions from listeners, attempt to answer them to varying degrees of success, and maybe even have a laugh or two along the way. <laughs> now, I will actually say, in the pre-show, we were talking a lot about uh, analytics, and it's a lot of fun. So I think we might revisit that because, you know, people are saying, like, how many viewers do you have from Greenland? I think there was a while where I even had, like, a view. There was one month where I had a view from North Korea. That was a fun one. I was like, Interesting. who is risking life and limb to watch which MacBook should you buy in 2022? Yeah. But I think we have to start logically with a super chat that is quite timely because it is about the M2. So, Second City Saint says, Hey Luke, number one, was disappointed with the M2's single-core performance. Actually, not so much since it's in Ultrabooks. Number two, M2 Pro and Max will be on ARM V9, which is meant to be a big deal. My question is, why is it a big deal? Is it just 3 nanometer? Also, love the channel watching from New York City. Great to have you with us. Great questions and a great place to start because we are just a couple days after WWDC. I honestly thought that this year was a lot of fun. Yeah, I thought it was a great event. Uh, we got some good software updates across the board. Uh, I'd say more exciting than last year there. And we also got some hardware, which is uh, which is always fun. And we got the, the MacBook Airs that we've been expecting for a while. So, you know, very good overall. Yeah, I, I'm really looking forward to the MacBook Air. Um, I think the M2 chip is, I mean, it's it's not revolutionary, right? And, and I don't think Apple was really positioning it as such. They, they seemed a little bit more casual about this than I would expect from them. Um, so I think that this is, you know, a good upgrade to have, but it's nothing that's going to be completely changing the name of the game and um, we can talk about why that is in a second I do think the MacBook Air bro that thing is gonna be absolutely killer like just from looking at a couple of the media that had access to hands-on with the device dude I mean it looks like that it's unbelievably thin it's thinner than the original iphone it's actually thinner than the iphone 14 will be <laughs> at the yeah. camera bump so it is actually a macbook air um unlike for the longest time from like 2016 until pretty much now the macbook air was either the same thickness or even slightly thicker than the macbook pro but now finally the macbook air is actually an air again and i think it looks phenomenal yeah i love the design because i love uh the new macbook pro design looks so nice and the air is you know basically the same design just a lot thinner um and i don't mind the pro being thick as you know it's a pro computer and, and you need that but the macbook air is uh it's super thin and uh, and super light i guess and it looks uh it looks really nice really nice and we also have to remember that this is, I mean, the MacBook Air is the best-selling laptop Apple makes. And 
we're finally at a point. It's almost crazy to think about, but we are at a point now where as the new generation design language rolls out, it's an improvement over the previous one. In the 2015 to 2018 cycle with the old design, every time a computer got upgraded, it got worse because it was just like, I mean, yeah, the MacBook Air never had a touch bar. So for that reason, a lot of people liked it, but it was slow. It had a really whiny little fan that just sounded annoying. It was like all day long. It's really unpleasant. And it had the butterfly keyboard. It just the MacBook Air, the previous generation, which was introduced in 2018, was it just kind of sucked. It just it was the default Mac, but it wasn't it wasn't popular because it was good. It was popular because it's a MacBook Air. It's the cheapest one. Mm -hmm. But now you can buy the cheapest MacBook Air there is and be getting an absolutely phenomenal product. Absolutely phenomenal. I mean, I'm assuming I haven't used it yet, but based on the M1 MacBook Air, they'd have to really try to mess that up. Yeah, I, I I don't see uh, I don't see that happening. But I I definitely think, uh, you know, the when the MacBook Air with M1 came out, that was it's that was like the easiest computer uh, to recommend as like a default computer for anyone yeah. that that needs a Mac or or that wants a laptop basically. Um, and you know, if they don't need, you know, even if they need it for more pro things, you could still use mm -hmm. a MacBook Air. But if you're not like super into it, you know, like we are, MacBook Air is the easiest thing to recommend. And now this new one. Again, easiest laptop to recommend, and it just uh, you know it looks nicer, I think, than the than the old one, and it it, uh, it definitely has some nice upgrades. And you know the M2, uh, you know take it or leave it. It is an improvement. It's not a huge improvement, uh, but that's okay. Mm -hmm. um, there's definitely some other some other upgrades uh, that come with this computer, and it's just, yeah, it's a great one. I have to say, I think the the biggest thing the M1 and now hopefully M2, have done is make the entry-level Apple devices not underpowered. For the longest time, Ultrabooks in general, and especially Apple's Ultrabooks, were fine. They were all right. They weren't designed to be boring business boxes. They weren't designed to be, you know, plastic powerhouses that have a lot of spec and sound like the box that your fridge came in like they're not designed to be you know anything to a compromise but they did strike a, a point where like if you look at the 2020 macbook air the one right before m1 that came out just a few months earlier and every time i'm in a coffee shop and i see someone with one of those i i feel for them i, I really do i'm like damn you you mistimed it because that's that's really rough. It's it's just not enough. I mean, compared to the Intel days, it was normal, right? It came with a Core i3 dual core. It was fine, or it might have been quad core. Who even knows? Who gives a shit? It was slow. But what the M1 chip did was it meant that you could buy the cheapest MacBook Air known to man and you could still fire up final cut you could still fire up blender and photoshop and like you could do 
normal, reasonable amounts of professional tasks on an i on a MacBook Air that you just couldn't do before. You had to spend two grand to get passable performance, and the fans would melt your lap off. And now you don't have to do that. And I think the biggest thing for M2 is the media engine, because that's something the M1 chip didn't have. And for everything that was great about the M1, I actually never switched full time to using it. I was still on my iMac Pro because, I mean, obviously M1 and an 18 core iMac Pro aren't really designed to be on the same level, but M1, as great as it was, just it didn't, it wasn't fast enough in those applications. So by adding the media encoder, if you do video editing and you look at those 18% improvement, those 30, 30% GPU improvements, it doesn't look like that much, but you add the, the, the media encoders to the mix. And I think that's going to make a really big difference. Yeah, that is a good point. And there's definitely uh, a lot more people, I would say, editing videos these days, you know, a lot more people uh, doing stuff on YouTube or even um, you know, TikTok and the other ones, I know you can edit those videos on a computer and, and put them back. And I don't know yeah. how many people do that, but I'm sure a lot of people do. Um, mm -hmm. So there's definitely, there's definitely a lot, uh, a lot of demand uh, for, for good performance in, in video editing apps, whether it's, you know, Final Cut, or even if you're just using iMovie, that's, that's fine. Uh, but I think that, that, uh, you know, they could take advantage of, uh, of that. So it's a great upgrade to see. And I think in general, this, um, you know, at least with the, we're talking about the Intel MacBook Air versus the, the M1 MacBook Air. I think the M1 MacBook Air was the first time, uh, it was it was a really big leap for a MacBook Air, and it's uh, like the very first, I guess, sort of definitive MacBook Air. And what I mean is, yeah. obviously, you know, the original one where Steve Jobs, uh, you know, pulled it out of the manila envelope, like that was a huge, uh, a huge deal and a really cool computer. But up until the M1, it's always been, you know, underpowered, like you said, and, you know, battery life has always suffered uh, as well mm, because of that. True. And I feel like the M1 MacBook Air, even though that was, you know, same design as before, and even now the M2 MacBook Air with the new design, it's truly, you know, it's super thin, but it has amazing battery life and no fans. So it's really like the, it's a really big leap for the MacBook Air. You know, now that you mention it, Noah, I think it's actually possible. And this might be a stretch, but I'll, I'll defend my position here. Okay. The M1 MacBook Air was the first great MacBook Air in, in the entire MacBook Air's history. That's going to be, that's my, that's my take. Thoughts? I think that's fair. I mean, the, you can look at the original MacBook Air, which was really cool, but there were so many sacrifice it had like an ipod hard drive in it right the original one yeah 4200 rpm baby it took like yeah. five minutes to boot when new <laughs> yeah so so and, and then obviously you know it got better from there but the macbook air i feel like there were always sacrifices until mm -hmm. the m1 and now it's a lot less of that so i kind of i don't i kind of agree with you i don't know if that's uh uh too um crazy of a, of a statement to make yeah, I mean, I think the original MacBook Air was the worst MacBook Air because, I mean, first of all, it had an iPod hard drive, so it was unusably slow. It had two gigabytes of RAM, which was soldered, so you couldn't do anything about that. Mm. 
the the hard drive by the way was only like 120 gigs which yep. yeah it was 2008 but also still um it had a dual core processor where they basically chopped off bits of the PCB to make it smaller and it was so slow that because there was like no cooling in the MacBook Air it actually throttled and would disable one of the cores. So it was a dual core chip, except for any time you needed the second core, it was too hot and it would go to, down to a single core chip. So um, even when it was brand new, it was ungodly slow with two gigabytes of soldered RAM. It's like, it was unbelievable. And do you know what, Noah? Do you know how much it cost when it was me. new? Remind me. It started at seventeen ninety nine. And I don't know if you know, but inflation. And so let me just run this real quick. It started at seventeen ninety nine. That's two thousand four hundred and forty two dollars today. Oh wow! So <laughs> you were paying MacBook Pro money, and you got a single core laptop with one USB port in two thousand eight. With an iPod hard drive. It was terrible. And so then they fixed it. 2010, it got the redesign. Then in 2012, they did a, a thinner version with the second generation of MagSafe. And that lasted all the way up until 2017. But here's the thing. I, I wouldn't even consider... I wouldn't call that a great generation either. Because in 2010, with a Core 2 Duo... They were still about as expensive as a MacBook Pro. So you weren't getting a cheaper computer. But they lacked the upgradability because of soldered RAM. So when you compare that to a unibody MacBook Pro, the unibody MacBook Pro was arguably a better deal. Um, and then by 2013, 14, 15... That generation was good, but it, it started with four gigs of RAM, so the cheapest one wasn't super viable. And it was only like $200 less than a Retina MacBook Pro. And the Retina MacBook Pro was nearly as thin, way more powerful, Retina display, much better looking. So, and then of course, you know, you get to 2016, 2017, the thing was so ancient, they had no business selling it for that long. So... I think if you look back over the entire MacBook Air's history, it has never been in a position of being the best option. It was always the cheapest option. Maybe it was the thinnest, maybe it was the lightest, but it I, I don't think maybe it's retrospects talking, but I really don't think that it was ever that great until M1. I think that's fair, and I'm just reflecting a bit because we both had MacBook Airs uh, from 2013 to 2017. Uh, you know, yeah. from our from our high school, um, 2013 to 2017, right? I don't yeah. know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, so yeah, so we had those uh, for about four years, and they were fine for uh, for school uh, work, basic school stuff. Um, I don't remember. Uh, how great the battery life was probably it was decent but uh it was all yeah. right yeah i don't know uh i don't know i mean i had a 
I guess I had a 2011 MacBook Pro at the time, so I can't even really talk because uh, I don't know. But I uh, but th- those computers True. were fine. But I would say you know a truly great uh, great one. The the M1 was the first. Yeah, because it always felt like it always felt like the MacBook Air. Like you'd get the MacBook Air uh, if you. Uh, couldn't get the MacBook Pro or like, it's like, you know, the MacBook Pro is the better one, but if you if you don't want to get it or if you really just care about something that's super portable and you don't need the power, then you can get the, the, get the Air. But now uh, it's like, you know, the Air is just so good that it's like you only get the Pro if you really, really want it for some reason or you really need it. Uh, the Air is mm. just a lot easier to recommend, um, not just as like, you know, oh, if you're not going to get the Pro, get the Air. But like, don't get the Pro. You probably don't need it. Just get the Air. It's it's uh, yeah. You know, that is something good. that the only I, I will say a couple people have pointed out that in 2010 and 2011, the MacBook Air was in a really good spot because you got the higher res screen, 1440 by 900 versus 1280 by 800. It also had SSD whereas the unibodies were still on hard drives at that point. So I guess 2011, I would say, I would agree with that, that 2011, it was good, but that's only because the MacBook Pro was lagging at that point. That was the very end of its generation. And so I guess you could sort of liken that to the M1 MacBook Air versus the 16 inch intel macbook pro right where it it just hadn't gotten updated yet Mm -hmm. so you could argue that the 2011 macbook air was the best version of the macbook air when you compare it to what it was selling alongside but even then i would say that the uh the apple silicon offerings are better because even back in 2010 and 2011 the limitations on the cpus to go into those devices were a bigger difference than they are now like fanless m1 versus fan m1 really doesn't make that much of a difference and when you compare that to the pretty dicey uh, lower end weak CPUs from back in the day. I would say that M1 is still the biggest upgrade to the MacBook Air. I mean, every single person that I know that says, "Hey, I need a new Mac," I just blanket statement buy a MacBook Air. That has never yep. been true before. I've always been like, "Well, what do you need? Should we go for used? Maybe refurbished would be good." Like, I was always trying to find people the best option for getting them the most power and the least money. And now it's so easy. You just say, hey, you need an M1. Just buy it and you're done. Yeah, that's a really good point because, because uh, yeah, there was a time in the uh, the butterfly keyboard era, I guess we could, yeah. we could call it, <laughs> where um, it was, first of all, it was harder to recommend those computers. And second of all, that was a time when the 2015 uh, MacBook Pro 
mm. uh, was still potentially viable and maybe even a unibody if you really wanted to go back there and make some upgrades to it you know maybe but definitely the 2015 and now i feel like we're at the point where the 2015 is uh you know seven years old i guess or coming up on seven years old um and uh so that's a little bit too old and then even you know refurbished do you don't want to go back to the intel uh the butterfly keyboard ones yeah. you probably don't want to go back to those but the m1 is just so uh so easy to recommend so it's not even so it's exactly what you said it's not even you know the the new macbook pro versus the new macbook air very easy to recommend the new air but even you know getting a new macbook air versus something refurbished it's you know again it's so easy to recommend the new one and it's worth uh it's worth the extra the extra money if it's going to cost a little more. I mean, if you take a look at the M1 MacBook Air compared to any Intel MacBook Pro in even in the same price category, it, it's faster. The MacBook Air is going to be faster than any 15-inch MacBook Pro, with the only exception being the 2019 Core i9 model. So only the very, very best Intel MacBook Pro is even within the same realm as the M1 MacBook Air. And I, it's actually a good point that you bring up, Noah, about the, the butterfly keyboard days. Because, I mean, it's weird to think that that was three years ago now is when we were like really in the butterfly keyboard days um and a lot of people have said like luke why don't you go back to the videos that you used to make about like you know buying used instead of new refurbing off of ebay to get a good deal and like why don't you make videos like you used to and the reason is those those videos aren't viable anymore because those types of deals don't make sense anymore Right. If you go back to 2019, right, let's 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 all rewind, put on your little time traveling hats. Right. What what did the Mac landscape look like in 2019? Well, 2019 was the last year where butterfly keyboard Macs were coming out. Right. So at the beginning of the year, you had the MacBook Pro update that got updated in like May. And so that's when we got the eight core i9s and they sort of kind of fixed thermal throttling. So that was that was a decent upgrade. Um, but again, just a spec bump, right? Then the base model, uh, the base model 13 inch MacBook Pro got the touch bar and quad core chips and they replaced the dual core models. And then there was a MacBook Air that had like a brighter screen and that's about it. Um, and then by the end of the year, we had the 16-inch MacBook Pro, right? So, if you take a if you take the context of that year and that time frame, what the Mac looked like, it made a lot of sense to buy older things because, with the exception of that that eight-core i9 MacBook Pro, you could get most of the same performance out of a 2015 that you could out of a brand new one, but for half the price and with upgradable storage. And you could buy a cheese grater Mac Pro and hot rod it because the new one, you know, the trash can was still current until December of that year. And the the Mac Mini, you could still buy a 2012 because the, at that point, very recent 2018 was pretty comparable. Like 
all of those things are not really possible now because where we are right now, as Noah pointed out, the favorite, you know, the darling MacBook Pro, the mid-2015, is seven years old as of last month. So it's officially, it's a seven-year-old computer. And it's starting to feel old. I have two of them. They they look a little old now with those thick bezels. The speakers are not good. The microphones are not good. The battery life is not good. And the performance is drastically behind even that of an M1 MacBook. Same with the graphics. Like an M1 MacBook Air is a much faster computer. And so right now when you look at the situation where it's like, oh, don't buy something new buy used and you'll save some money. It's like, yeah, maybe you'll save $300, but it's half the capabilities. So we are in a, this weird time where if you want the best value, you want a new Mac. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, part of it is uh, part of it is that we're at the beginning of a new generation. And obviously yeah. Uh, you know, even in 2016, when we were going to the to the touch bar and butterfly keyboard uh, era or generation, um, you know, even then, you know, go back to the previous generation, 2015, those were still good. Uh, this was a very drastic generational shift, obviously, going from Intel to Apple Silicon. But we are starting to see, um, you know, now that the M2 MacBook Air is coming out, maybe the prices of the M1 MacBook Airs will drop. And I know we've uh, they're in the refurb store as well, and you can you can look mm -hmm. on eBay. And obviously, there are fewer opportunities um, to do upgrades or anything. You could do a little bit with the 2015. If you go back to the unibody, you had even more options there. Um, so so you know a bit less of that. But as we move into this generation a little bit, then you could start looking for use. You could look at an M1 MacBook Air at that point um but yeah it's kind of hard to go uh you know back further than the apple silicon generation unless you explicitly need an intel machine for some reason it's really hard to go back beyond that that uh that barrier uh it's it's interesting though i mean we are in a point now I, and honestly it dawned on me once the m1 stuff came out obviously i was so excited to to look at it but then I started realizing, uh-oh, wait a minute. My whole like business model relied on buying used, hot-rotting old Macs and stuff. Th that was based entirely on a sentiment of being unhappy with the way Apple was, was handling the Mac. That's how I built my entire channel, was on people didn't like what Apple was doing now, so they wanted to make the most of what Apple used to do in the past. And so I've had a very good couple of years building a channel from zero to 100, 200K before Apple Silicon came out based 100% on people's want to save money by not giving Apple directly money for the stuff that they were doing at the time, which was not good. So it is weird now to be in this point where the the smart money is in Apple Silicon. But the, I think the next step is going to be once we start getting into this M2 generation and then specifically more into M3, then I think we might even start to get get back some of those 
used refurbished repair type videos because Apple Silicon needs time to mature for good deals to start, you know, existing and for it to be worth comparing. You're going to see some of that next month, frankly. You know, I'm going to I'm going to be pretty tough on M2 comparing it to M1. And I think someone brought up actually um they were wondering question on upgrading to M2 from M1 or waiting for M3. And then also I guess we also had that super chat back at the beginning that was wondering about ARM V9, 3 nanometer, that sort of thing. So my quick take on this, and let me know if you agree, Noah, would be if you're already on Apple Silicon, M2 is probably going to be a skip. Yeah, it definitely seems... The only the only time that you'd even think about it is if you're on a plain old M1. So you're on one of those mm. launch... Uh, one of those launch... And I guess there's not even a Mac Mini with M2. So if you're on a launch MacBook Pro or a launch MacBook Air, an M1 uh, you know, model of those, if you don't want the new design of the MacBook Air, uh, then yes, M2, it doesn't seem like it's that big of an upgrade. And I think that M1 is already very capable uh, and it already has great battery life. So I would definitely hold out. And I think that we'll start to see that where these computers are going to last even longer than, uh, and you know, obviously some people keep their computers for longer than other people do. But I think that in general, these computers are going to start lasting longer. Um, you know, like we've seen with, uh, the trend with iPhones and, and iPads and some other products. Yeah. I think, um, Apple's definitely going to have to contend with that because the problem with making devices really great is that people don't need to upgrade them. I mean, you look at the MacBook Pro, the mid-2015 one, Apple made a MacBook that was so good that people would were sitting there for five, six years like, nah, nah, I don't need any of that. And so they finally got people to upgrade with the M1 Pro and the M1 Max. They finally said, okay, we'll give you what you want will bring that generation back effectively, but with all of the modern accoutrement that you could want. And people are like, okay, all right, you got me. Mm-hmm. But are they going to be in the same situation again? Are they going to be stuck you know, with people for six years that won't upgrade and then they're going to have to start pulling out gimmicks and stuff and getting controversial? I hope not. It's possible, and that's what uh, the you know the other super chat we had a super chat from Cole Weathers about the iPad OS updates, and we can get oh, into yes. that um, before we finish. But I guess just to to briefly bring up you know the iPad had that problem, and it still oh, yeah, does. And uh, and I guess the one thing is um, so like Stage Manager uh, does not work on iPads that don't have an M1 chip in them. So mm-hmm. it won't work on my 2018 iPad Pro. Is that enough reason for me to upgrade? No, it's still not enough <laughs> of a reason, unfortunately. But uh, that's, you know, another uh, reason. And maybe some people will be tempted uh, or convinced into upgrading. And maybe next year Apple will come out with another reason. So, so you know, they got to start doing things like that to get people to upgrade. So do you want to know the the explanation that Apple gave for why you need M1 to use stage manager i think i did hear about this and i i wanted to discuss it so yeah so what uh, go go for it 
Yeah, we'll we'll, let, we'll come back to M3 towards the end of the show. Let's okay. let, we'll talk about iPads now because that was the other thing. You know, dub dub, right? We got software, right? So let's talk about Stage Manager because I have a lot of thoughts. Mm-hmm. I've been using it. Now Apple has said, and I don't know. I'm gonna read this with a healthy dose of sarcasm in my voice. <laughs> As a resource-intensive environment, Apple reasoned that it requires the power of the M1 processor because of the capability of the M1 to use fast memory swapping. That is what Apple claimed. They said, oh, you need the memory swap to use all of this stuff, you guys. You You need it. You need it. I don't know if I buy that. Because here's the thing. Here's the thing, folks. You don't need Apple Silicon to use Stage Manager on the Mac. So, look. macOS Ventura, as we know, supports Intel Macs. They don't have fast memory swap. And in fact, I'm I'm looking at the 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 supported list here. You need a 2017 12-inch MacBook that can run macOS Ventura. That has a dual-core M3 CPU. That thing is less powerful than an Apple Watch, and it can run Stage Manager. So, I'm sorry, but spare me the. Well, you see. The 2018 uh, iPads just aren't as technologically advanced to allow us to put the application windows in little tiny things on the side. We just needed more power for that. Yeah, I don't know. Because like, if you look at the iPad, uh, you know, iOS 15 iPad, right? You can have two apps running in split screen. And you can have a yep. third app that slides over, and that's totally fine. And you can, you know, you don't have Stage Manager necessarily, but you can have, uh, you know, you could you could put two apps together and then get rid of that, and then put another two apps together and and close that, and put another two apps together, and you can go into your multitasking, and you can you know switch between <coughs> these uh, groups of two apps, which is you know a less uh, advanced version of Stage Manager. But in general, I don't see why. Uh, you couldn't have a bunch of windows, and maybe the performance is going to be uh, a little bit slower. Maybe the apps will have to be backgrounded more aggressively, uh, so mm-hmm. it'll be a little bit slower if you switch to a different like stack or whatever. I haven't used I haven't used any of the betas actually, so I'm not Whoa. super familiar. That's a first. But I know. But um, you know, whatever the 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 stacks on the side. Maybe if you switch between stacks, it would be a little bit slower. I don't know. But uh, at the end of the day, it does kind of seem like I'm not sure how much I, I buy the excuse. And I will be really curious if uh, if we get a jailbreak for this. I'm sure that one mm. of the first things will be a tweak. I'm sure it's a software setting and there will be a jailbreak tweak that will uh, that will enable native stage manager on older devices. And oh, I yeah. hope that happens and I'd be curious to see how it, how it runs. Yeah, I definitely I definitely agree. Uh, yeah, my, my experience with stage manager was essentially, uh oh, Apple cannot figure out how to make the iPad usable. They, oh, no. cause stage manager on the Mac feels kind of pointless. 
Yeah, that's like, it's what I... cool. Yeah. But I don't really see why I would need to do that. Like, I can just minimize windows. I can set up multiple desktops. Like, it's it's a solution to a problem that doesn't exist. I think it was developed with the iPad in mind. And the fact that you can have the same experience on the Mac and the iPad... On the Mac and the iPad, I guess that's good, right? It's consistent. The problem is, on the iPad, it doesn't really work all that well. I mean, number one, the biggest issue by far, is it doesn't allow you to have three actively visible windows. And that, in a way, is actually a step back from before, because you could have the side-by-side and then the weird little floating boy that you could swipe off and back and forth from... You know, you could hide it, bring it back, hide it, bring it back, right? Mm-hmm. I honestly think that that is better than using Stage Manager because mm-hmm. Stage Manager does not give you any additional steps, right? It, it You can still put two windows side by side, um, but if anything, it's more inconvenient to resize them because you have to, rather than just drag that bar down the middle, you have to resize each one of them to fit. And then if you do have a third application, it's either completely hidden behind them or it's like weird and off to the side and then you have to tap it. And it it, it honestly is worse than what it was before. Um, and most of that is just because when you have the stage manager interface with the dock and the applications off to the left, it takes up so much screen real estate that even on a 12.9 inch, the windows that you can actually have open are tiny and i'm like what is the point of carrying around a 13 inch tablet with the case that makes it heavier than a 13 inch macbook pro if it's gonna be unusably tiny windows that don't resize easily because it keeps trying to like figure out what you want and it won't just let you drag a corner like you can on a mac and it's just frustrating yeah, that sounds sounds not super great. And I have a couple of questions for you because I haven't yeah, tried shoot. I haven't tried any of these out, but uh, based on the keynote, I got some impressions. So if you uh, so on the Mac, did they mm-hmm. get rid of any uh, anything like the expose and the multiple desktops? Is all of that still there? Yes. So they just they just uh, added Stage Manager, but everything else still exists as it did. Yes. That to me seems like really silly. I don't see what stage manager mm-hmm. adds that that we that we couldn't do before. I mean, I guess you could argue that if you have a desktop that is cluttered up with a bunch of apps, the the utility for stage manager is. I mean, let, if I'm just looking at my dock over here, if I have Safari messages, photos, calendar, notes, pages, and numbers all open at once. What would I, I mean, what would you do to make that more manageable if you have those six applications open? If I did, and for me personally, I usually have very few applications open and I I only use a single desktop all the time. But if I had those applications open, I know we've had this this discussion before. You have I always 64 use a gigs desktop. of RAM, and you don't yeah, use yeah. more than two apps. Well, okay, I do, but I I, uh, I usually don't have 
a bunch of apps open at once. I'm very, uh, I'm very organized with my, uh, with that kind of stuff. But if I had to have all of these apps open, I feel like multiple desktops would just, it seems like stage manager is, is basically multiple desktops, but like, Mm -hmm. you know, each stage manager stack or whatever they're called is essentially a different desktop. That's what it seems like to me. What do you think about that? Yeah, that I would agree. Because, like, if I had pages, numbers, notes, calendar, messages, and Safari open, then typically what I would do, and that I, the reason I bring that up is because I quite frequently have those six applications open. So usually what I'll do is have Safari in full screen on its own side. Um, and then I'll have a desktop to the left and to the right of Safari. So to the left, I would put... Um, messages and calendar to the right i would put notes and pages and numbers something like that where i i I like to just arrange things in a logical way safari full screen in the middle and then whatever i'm doing in safari i have a swipe to the right or a swipe to the left to get to what i need it's simple it's intuitive i can arrange the windows the way that they want I turn off automatic desktop rearrangement because that is a stupid feature only found useful by idiots. Okay? Why would I want... Sorry, I I have to derail this conversation about Stage Manager to yell at (laughs) Apple for even daring to make a feature where they will automatically rearrange your desktops based on usage. Why would I possibly want you to move things around... When I've put them there, if I put something there, why would you say, oh, oh, let me move that? No, idiot. I put it there because that's where I want it to be. And it's always moving stuff around. It always puts Final Cut Pro at the end and it puts Safari at the beginning. And I'm like, why would I want three desktops between those things? I don't get why they thought that was a good feature. Why would anyone want that? Yeah, it seems like one of those uh, features that sounds good. They're like, "Oh, we're gonna, you know, you'll 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 get at you'll get what you want. Uh, you know, we'll we'll order it in a logical way, and and what you need, it will will be there. Um, but obviously, uh, you know, then you lose like the muscle memory or just even mm-hmm. knowing because like then you don't know where it is and you have to go look for it. And uh, yeah, just one of those. It makes me think of like the the device switching for the AirPods. It's like one of those features that mm. they're trying to they're trying to do too much uh, too much for you. AirPods device switching is the stupidest feature known to man. It's even stupider than the desktop thing. If I wanted my sound to switch from the device where audio is playing to a device where audio is not then I would tell it to do that. If I was watching a movie and I'm 43 minutes into it with 57 minutes to go and I pull out my phone and a Twitter ad automatically plays, why do you think that I would want to hear that instead? What could possibly prompt any sort of an intelligence logic loop in your program to think, yes, this 
47 minutes into movie must wait because a progressive ad is playing in line on a Twitter feed on a phone that was off. It's so stupid. Yes, yes, it is. Uh, I think I don't encounter it as much as you do because I'm not, I'm not as heated about it. But uh, but I definitely think that there are some features where Apple is uh, trying too hard to be helpful, and it and it goes the opposite way. Bro, this comment least liked Apple things AirPod auto switching and anything around contacts phone numbers. Bro, bro, ah. Brother, do I have a story for you because my contacts are a goddamn nightmare. Oh, no. It's a nightmare, dude. And I don't know how this happened. I don't know how this happened at all. But every single one of my contacts is entered at least six times. <laughs> really? Yes, every single one of my contacts has been duplicated or sextuplicated, at least. Wow. At bare minimum. You know how you you know how it makes like a contact for yourself? Yeah. Right? That's a reasonable thing to do. Look how many Luke Mianis <laughs> are in my fucking phone. Oh my god. And that's not even all of them. Look, it keeps going. <laughs> There's so many. Why? I didn't make any of these. Wow. That is that is bad. That's way too many Luke Mion. I mean, one is already a lot. That's just There's too many. 22 Luke Miani contacts in my own phone. <sighs> Let me see how many Noahs there are in here. There's nine of you. Oh, no. <laughs> And they're all the same. They have the same picture. They have the same company name, Idiot Incorporated, of course. Oh, I didn't know that, actually. I didn't know that was my... I knew about the food emojis in the picture, but I didn't know about the about the company. Yeah, yeah, your company is Idiot one. Inc. It's hilarious. Oh, my... There's five contacts in here for Barack Obama. <laughs> you have his phone number? Apparently so. Wow. Um... There's there's contacts in here from, look, this one is called Mac Owner with no actual information. <laughs> that was from nice. like some Mac that I logged into with my Apple ID. And it was like, let me create a contact with nothing in it. That's what you want. Oh, my God. Nice. And, and I don't get this because like a lot of these are contacts that I've had for like a long time, like like family members, stuff that, that was back in the iPhone 5 days. But some of the contacts are from like a year or two years ago or even earlier this year. And they're duplicated and triplicated and hmm. octuplicated. <laughs> Why? Why? What causes this to happen and how does it stop? Because they're all the same contacts. Why does it not... Why... why if they have gone to all such great lengths to develop computer logic that can switch the AirPods from the sound that I'm listening to to a sound that I don't want to listen to, if they spent all that time making that, why couldn't they make a thing that says, huh, 
This guy has seven identical contacts. Maybe they're the same person. Hmm. Maybe I could combine them. Or maybe you could not <laughs> duplicate the contacts. Why does it do that? No, what, what, what causes that to happen? What possible, like, there is nothing that I could possibly do wrong that would cause it to create additional contacts for no reason. I don't understand. I have a theory. And first of all, I want to point out, I don't think the contact app has been uh, uh, like redesigned or really updated since iOS 1 or iPhone OS 1. Has it really yeah, changed at all? I don't it looks the I think it looks the exact same pretty much. Yeah. But my theory is that this is a very bad uh, or a very slow uh, way for Apple to slowly uh, consume all of your iCloud storage so that you have to buy more. I think they're playing a long game with this. That's what I think. Now, that is curious. Someone also said that there was a... There was a way to merge. Someone said the merge section in Contacts will fit that easy. Will fix that easy. I don't see where... How do you do that? I think... I think you Is can that a thing? do it on the Mac, but I don't think you can do it on the iPhone. Bro, what even... So I, on iCloud... Or, uh, yeah, on the iPhone, in the settings app, the contacts only allow you to, like, do setting Siri and search. Um, you can add accounts, and then it just has, like, display order and stuff. So that's not very helpful. But in the actual contacts app, you can go to groups. And the groups that I have are all iCloud and then two that just say card. Like, <laughs> it's it's just blank. It's just, just a, a placeholder name. Bro. Yeah, I'm taking a quick look on... on con, like, so on the, the Mac app, you can search for duplicates there. Oh, my God. Apple Inc. I have like 20 Apple Inc. Nice. I don't know if you can do it on the iPhone. Someone said maybe iOS 16 is getting that feature. Maybe you can do it now. I'm not sure. But but, uh, but I did not realize your contacts were that much of a mess. That's, that's Are yours like that? Am I like, does anyone else have this problem where it just makes a bajillion different copies of all your contacts? Mine are pretty much fine. I have some duplicates, but it's because uh, LinkedIn like generated a bunch of contacts mm. with just LinkedIn. Uh, like, That's so rough. I have to, I have to go in and delete all the LinkedIn contacts, but, but other than that, mine are fine. So I haven't had your problem. I'm still trying to find where the option for condensing them is. I don't see it. Are you on the Mac? Yeah. It's under at the top, like menu. It's under card. And then uh, uh, look for duplicates. Yeah, yeah. Gee, let's see if it'll find any. Would you like to guess how many duplicate contacts I have? Uh, a couple hundred, I don't know. Keep in mind, I'm a normal human being who doesn't have, like, I don't know. I don't have a ton of contacts, okay. right? I don't have that many people that i would um you know we're talking about using 
the phone or texting, right? Like that's not even all the people that I know. True. Because a lot of that's going to be on other social media. So how many contacts do you think are, are duplicate? I mean, judging by the thing that we saw, it's got to be at least a, a, a hundred or 200. I don't know. 574. Oh, wow. Yeah, that's bad. <laughs> 574 duplicate contacts. So let me go ahead and merge these. And by the way, this doesn't even count. Some of these are, these are all just straight duplicates, not necessarily ones that have the same name, but have different information. So like if one of them, if one of them was duplicated and has a phone number and then a different one has that and an address or something, that wouldn't even count as a duplicate here. So 574, just pure duplicates. All right, I'm merging duplicated data now. Oh my God, this is so much better. <laughs> oh, wait, I have 211 contacts. That's kind of a lot. I'm kind of popular. Wow. Did you know that? It's pretty cool. I, I'm, I'm surprised. Never mind that some of these are people that I like went to middle school with and haven't <laughs> spoken to in 10 years, but don't worry about that. Yep. Yeah. 574 G's. Anyway, um, so yeah, stage manager is not that good. Brought it back. Yes, yes, yes. I don't know. It just seems it seems weird on the Mac uh, to just kind of drop it in there and be like, hey, here's another way that you can manage, I guess, if you don't like what you have. But I do appreciate that you can turn it off. And to be honest with you, I'll probably try it out and then turn it off. But, uh, but we'll oh, yeah. see. I mean, it's it's stage manager has to be toggled. It's never on by default. Okay. So That's good. It's and honestly, I think it's a little clunky. Like you go to control center and then you can click the thing and it turns it on. You're like, okay, cool. To turn it off again, though, it's not a control center toggle. You have to. Like when it's on, you click on it, and then that goes into that menu where you can toggle a switch, like like the iPhone little like oval switch. Click that to turn it off, and then two clicks to get back out. So hmm. it's, I don't know, it's a little bit irritating to go in and out of Stage Manager, but to be honest, I don't think you're really going to need to because, I mean, I guess that it gives you a little bit of like instant organization, and I guess if you have, if you're a one desktop person and you open up a lot of applications, then it can reduce visual clutter. That's pretty much the only thing I could really say for it. And on the iPad, I, I, I think it's genuinely worse than it was before because, and I kind of feel like an idiot for that, to be honest, because Noah, we said, we just want resizable windows. And then Apple was like, sure, but also... We're going to throw in a little curveball of they're bad. Yeah, they kind of gave us a little bit. They, they went a little bit further than, than maybe we wanted. But I wanted to ask, on the iPad, can you have a full screen? I guess you can have one window in full screen, right? Because you, could you still do the side-by-side -side full screen, or is that not possible anymore? Yeah, so as with on the Mac... In the iPad, Stage Manager is a control center toggle and it doesn't replace anything. So okay. you can have full screen apps. And in fact, you can go from within Stage Manager. You can tap on the top of it and pr 
pull it into full screen or you can add, if you have a stage manager window one on its own if you have stuff on the side and the dock on the bottom if you drag out the corner of that window to fill up the screen it'll push everything else off okay and you'll have like the little the little rounded like screen grabby corner grabby down there and you can pull it back but you can go from from stage manager to full screen however with stage manager open the little floaty window that hides off to the side goes away not just you can't get it out of there but you whatever is in there if stage manager is on you cannot get back hmm. like if i open up a new safari tab and i go to your youtube channel and i put that in the little floaty window and it's hidden when i open stage manager as long as stage manager is open i cannot get that tab oh that's annoying yeah and like even if you full screen an application you can't do it it doesn't work you also can't like add I was not able to get another application added to a full screen application while stage manager was active. Like you had to exit stage manager, then do it. Yeah. I wonder if maybe those uh, quirks will be fixed or maybe it's on purpose, but and I guess mm. it's a good thing that you can still do things the old way if you prefer but I guess yeah, if you have stage manager and like you said, there's a lot of um, a lot of um, uh, well, Chrome I guess it's called, but a lot of like interface elements that are on the screen, uh, and then mm -hmm. the windows themselves are really small. That doesn't, especially on the eleven, the eleven inch iPad Pro, that does not seem like a great experience. And like when we saw it in mm -hmm. the keynote, we saw it on these like giant screens and uh, exactly. Or even, you know, even, you know, on our desktop, we saw a video of it. And and uh, I think it would probably be very different on an actual on an actual iPad. I don't have a compatible 11-inch iPad to test it on, but I cannot imagine any utility to it. Because, I mean, you're, you're losing so much space with the UI so much space like you're literally if you want to keep the ui open which is kind of the only real difference of stage manager then you're losing about 30 percent of your screen real estate so your 11 inch ipad is already down to like a seven inch actual usable screen space and like you can have the windows float and not be the full size of the screen but why would you want that on a Mac, it makes sense because certain windows don't need to be very big. Like I can have a messages window that's really tiny and it can hide off to the side and, you know, I can have it peeking out behind something. It doesn't have to take up that much space. But on an iPad, there aren't that many applications that you would want to be any smaller because you're already tight on screen real estate. So it just doesn't really it just doesn't really work it just ugh, i really wish apple could figure it out because the ipad is such a fantastic piece of hardware but the more the more we go through this the more i really genuinely am starting to think they should just merge mac os and ipad os yeah i guess they're kind of like i mean if you look at stage manager got brought to both of them 
and from what i can tell it kind of makes both of them worse like it's just yeah a worse like and maybe that's even an argument against it against merging them because it's like you know mac mac os and ipad os had their own mm. multitasking schemes and and if we're saying that both of those work better than stage manager which is available on both then maybe that's a, the a reason to to not merge them or maybe that's apple can point. come up with something better i don't know okay maybe not merge i think if i and obviously you know we're just armchair commentators that's not that's not a word commentators yeah we're just armchair commentators tater tots uh-huh. And so we can't possibly, you know, solve the problem for Apple. Because Apple has a lot more people that are a lot smarter than us working around the clock to figure it out. But if I had to think of a way to make the iPad actually good, it would be to give it a desktop with the ability to put files and folders on it. Because I think that's a pretty key part of the Mac. I don't like using files like the app. I think that's mm-hmm. kind of goofy. Um, I would give it a desktop. And maybe I wouldn't give it the top bar, the top menu bar of the Mac. But I would give the applications a bar at the top when connected to a, a mouse and keyboard. So I would maybe have this be, I guess, sort of the pro mode that people were talking about. Mm-hmm. Let's say you pop it off the stand and you're using it, you know, bare bones. Your raw dog in the iPad, right? Uh-huh. In that case, you know, it could, like, you know how you know how you have your first desktop? Mm-hmm. I think if you connect it to a mouse and keyboard or a magic thingy, magic thingy mabob here, that it would it should pop out and have a screen before the desktop and, and and that or before the first page of apps that's your desktop you can swipe just like you normally would to get back to your apps kind of like launchpad and then on your desktop you could click in the dock and it would open a window you could resize those windows and they would all crucially stay where you put them I think that's what it needs. I think that would be interesting, especially because the iPad, uh, I think the iPad home screen looks kind of goofy and the Mm -hmm. widgets definitely help. But when you have, and especially on some devices, I think on the the iPad mini, it looked especially bad because there were huge um, like blank space on the, like all around the icons. But like each icon itself is like a small little icon and there's so much space around it. And like the widgets help, but you still can't place them wherever it has to flow, you know, left to right and top to bottom. There's mm-hmm. just, I don't know. I feel like I feel like Apple could have done something for the home screen on the iPad that, that would I have agree. been helpful. Maybe something like what you said. But, but I, I think that could use some love. You know what else could use some love, Noah? What's that? Our ability to cleanly and succinctly wrap up this show yes i think i think that could use a lot of love but for right now what it could really use is uh a sign off from me your host luke miani and uh me your host noah rubin have a great night